Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Exodus 6, 6 through 8. God says, say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord. So he starts everything off by saying, I'm the Lord. (laughs) And then he says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people. There's these four promises that he has in in chapter 6 of Exodus. And he promises salvation. I will bring you out. He promises freedom. I will free you, which is different from the first one. It feels redundant, but sometimes it's easier to take uh, the slave out of Egypt than it is to take the Egypt out of the slave is what we're learning. So people who come to faith in Christ believe on Jesus and are really excited about their faith and then struggle with the same stuff. But God wants you to begin to put off the old self and to put on Jesus. And that's what finding freedom looks like. So uh, I will will redeem you is the third one. Redemption is the third promise. And then I will take you as my own people. You're going to find ultimate fulfillment when you realize life is not about you you but what you get to be a part of because of Jesus and so be a part of his kingdom be a part of big C church and just find your identity there and so uh, these promises uh, is what God gives Moses in in Exodus 6 before the plagues this is what God promises and uh, and then the last two weeks we talked about the plagues so if you miss any of these weeks you can go online and catch up but week one we talked about blood in the Nile and we talked about uh, the frogs and we talked about the gnats and we said hey after the third plague the, the contest is pretty much over by the fourth plague which is the flies now all of a sudden God is separating his judgment out so there's flies on the Egyptians not on the people uh, of Israel and then um, and then after the flies we see the um, the dead animals the livestock which also Um, is a sobering thing dead animals in Egypt not for the the Israelites and then boils which is the sixth plague now all of a sudden instead of Pharaoh hardening his heart God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart and just give him over to what he wants to make a to make a um, to make a statement and to show people who he is so hail locusts darkness and now it's time for the finale the last uh, plague so we hit the first nine over the past two weeks Today, I'm going to hit chapter 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there in chapter 11 and 12. But chapter 11 begins by God instructing Moses to tell the people, hey, I want you to go to your neighbors, your Egyptian neighbors, and I want you to ask them for gold and silver. And remember, there's been nine plagues. And they, and like, they can see the judgment that's been separated out. We got boils on our skin, no boils. Our animals are dead, your animals are fine. Like they're, they're paying attention to what God's doing. Pharaoh's heart's hardened, but there's an, some Egyptians like, this is crazy. What are we doing, right? So after the ninth plague, he says, hey, go to the Egyptians, your neighbors, and ask them for their gold and for their silver. And then it's so great because God's like, I'm going to lead you out. You're basically going to go take all their stuff, right? You're going to take their candy. Go get all their stuff, and then, and then they're going to give it to you because they're so tired of dealing with this. They're going to give you their stuff. Um, and, and this is basically, uh, you're like, well, that's kind of shady. But this is just back pay for years of enslavement, bondage, oppression. It's basically justice, and it's a setup for the promised land. Take uh, what they give you. 
right, and get ready to leave. And then verses 4 through 7 in chapter 11 says this. Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I'm going to go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn in Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the female slave. Uh, who, is at, who, is, who is at her hand mill and the firstborn of the cattle as well. Even the animals, uh, the firstborn of the animals. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. I don't know if you've ever been around death, um, especially unexpected death. People who've lost a loved one without knowing that it was coming or having some kind of heads up. And it is like, it is just that. It is brokenness and it is mourning and it is wailing and it is, it is, it is crying and it is yelling and it is screaming and it is all that. Even for animals. Even for animals. And so uh, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there's ever been. Among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or any animal. I love the Bible. Why is that in there? It's so crazy, right? It's so awesome. Why do drugs? You can do scripture. It's so great that God puts that in there. He put that in there. So wild. You will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And so this is, this part is, is a hard thing. If you, if you read this passage or even the plagues in general are hard for people to stomach the idea that God would go to battle, go to war and wipe out the firstborn of the Egyptians is kind of like, whoa, Right? We talked about last week, we talked about the wrath of God. And so if you missed last week, talked about it being rooted in the love of God and because of his love for his people and because of his love for righteousness, he just goes to battle in the Old Testament uh, over his kids. And so he just kind of wipes out entire population sometimes in the Old Testament. You're like, what's going on? He's making a name for himself. He's fighting for his children in the Old Testament. And, uh, and, but when Jesus comes on, sometimes we, we have a hard time reconciling the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene, and, and it's not that the, the wrath of God has gone anywhere. It's just that Jesus took it. That's the gospel. So Jesus took what really was deserved for you and me, what was waiting for you and me in our sin, our brokenness, and in our rebellion, and he takes it on himself. And then he stands in the gap. And, he, and, and then in exchange to that, he offers forgiveness and grace. If we believe and surrender our lives to him, he takes what was purpose for us. And we said last week, that's still justice. But, but here in this, in this Exodus 11 and 12, um, we see that that's not the case yet. And so we're looking at God as a deliverer. He's making good on the promises that he made in Exodus 6. We see that there's wailing, that there's mourning, that there's loud crying, that there's screaming in this one camp. And then over here for the Israelites, not even a dog is barking. We have a dog. We have a golden doodle named Winnie, and uh, was short for Winston. And uh, anyway, so we, every time I come home, never fails. Dumb dog barks every single time I step into the door. It's nap time. We got a three year old. He's laying down, walking to the door. Like he sees, like you know who I am. This is so stupid. This is a dumb exercise. Every time I come home, bro, like I own this house, my man. Like, look, take, get a look at this, right? And so every single time I come home, bark. I don't know how your dog, if you have a good guard dog or whatever, but I can imagine like how surreal it must have been to in one camp have wailing crying, screaming, louder than it's ever been, animals and people, and then over here, pin drop. Nothing. And that's the scene that he gives us in Exodus 11. Again, he's showcasing, here's who I am as God. I'm, I'm for this group. These people have a covenant with me. They're in relationship with me. These people are not. And he's making the distinction between the two. Look at chapter 12, right? 
and so God gives Moses on instruction to what to do as a people to separate themselves and to be set apart from the Egyptians. That's part of what he's doing in Exodus 11 and 12. He's drawing them out, but also he's going, okay, cool. Here's how, here's going to be the distinguishing factors between you, my people, the relationship we have and the rest of rest of the world. He says this in verses three through seven, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And If any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share the one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. There's a lot of people in Israel. Most of the households, the lambs were bigger than the people in the households. Hey, you're going to have to share some of this land. All of it is to be consumed. You're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. And the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, without blemish. Bring your perfection. Bring whatever you got, the best of what you got. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all of the members of the community of israel must slaughter them at twilight it was slaughter which is a hard word but it's a real word and it's what took place you're going to slaughter the lambs then they are to take some of the blood of these lambs and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs you're going to mark your household uh, with the blood of the lamb And then look at verse 12. On that same night, I'm going to pass through Egypt, strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Why are we doing this exercise? So I can show the rest of humanity who I am in relationship to the false gods that they worship. So so mark your house with the blood of the lamb if you want uh, no death at your house, if if you want me to pass over. The blood will be a sign for your houses where, where you are when I see the blood I'll pass over you. That's where we get the term Passover. So no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So when I see the blood, I know that I'm in a relationship with you. I'll pass over you and death will not come to your house is what God's telling his people in this passage. And so uh, the blood of the lamb was this distinction between those in relationship and those who are not in relationship. The blood of the lamb. Okay, here's where we're going. All right, so skip down to verse 29, uh, and it says this. At midnight, the Lord struck down at all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, he's no respecter of persons. Firstborn of Pharaoh who sat at the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon. Firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. Then there was loud wailing in Egypt. There was not a house without someone dead. There's not a house in Egypt that someone has not died. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and says, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks, take your herds. Take it. Maybe he's at the end of himself. He's holding his dead son, and he's like, get out. Get out. But then look at the last thing he says. I love the Bible. He says this, and also bless me. So he's screaming. He's so angry. He's so mad. He's so broken. He's holding his dead son. He's like, dude, take, get out of my face. And then he's like, on your way out, bless me. Same guy who wouldn't, same guy who wouldn't recognize Yahweh, same guy who wouldn't recognize the God of the Israelites at the first exchange with Moses. I don't know who that is. I'm not submitting to him. What are we talking about? Why would I surrender? I don't know. I don't know who that is. Don't even recognize the God of the Israelites. Now power has shifted. Pharaoh's holding his dead son, realizing everything that's taking place, all these 10 plagues, is at the hand of God, the true God. And he looks at Moses and he says, please bless me. 
Like, whoa. Like, so he took an enslaved people and oppressed people, a reluctant prophet, dude who couldn't speak, who stuttered, who was like, I'm not going to be good for this assignment. And then just a, an oppressed, like they had no, there was no army. And, and he just took this people, this group of humble people, to humble the most powerful man in the world, uh, most powerful nation at the time. And the guy says, bless me. As if to say, hey, you have a means, you have a God, you have a way by which you can bless me and that I can't, I can't get there on my own. And so it's such a shift in power. I love, I love seeing it so much. And so God strikes Egypt with this final plague. And those without the blood of the lamb experience death and suffering and wailing and loss. And scripture says there's not a single Egyptian house that someone didn't die in. And then Pharaoh calls Moses and says, I give up, leave my people and bless me on your way out. And so... Uh, this is the way that God works, using the humble to bring the proud low all throughout Scripture. And, um, and so what does any of this have to do with us today? What is, what is the first death of the firstborn son or the plagues? That's a great story about a different time, Michael, in the Bible. That's great. This history is awesome, really cool. What does that have to do with me as a new covenant believer, like a follower of Jesus? What does that matter? Um, and so all of this is where you and I, when we celebrate communion together, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, all of that is rooted in this event. And, and as we read Exodus, you're going to realize how much of Exodus is just this, this little nod to so much of what you see all throughout Scripture. We said this earlier on in the series. Instead of it being a series built around a felt need, we're just going to track through Scripture and just realize that every felt need that you and I could have is in the text itself. And so God shows us in Exodus 11 and 12 when he starts to talk about the death of the firstborn son and the Passover. All of this, when Jesus steps onto the scene 1,400 years later, the Jews are still celebrating Passover. They're still slaughtering lambs. They're still reading Exodus 6 where they're, they're, they're saying out loud the promises of God. I'll bring you out of Egypt. I will redeem you. I will, like they're, they're saying all of these things 1,400 years later when Jesus steps onto the scene. And so uh, the, the night that Jesus began, the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper and, and the thing that we celebrate as communion, right? He's with his closest friends and his followers. And here's what he says to them. Uh, as they celebrate Passover together, what we're talking about in Exodus 12. He says this, Luke twenty two fifteen 15 through 16. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And Je Jesus is saying uh, in Luke 22 and other gospel accounts, I am the final lamb. We've been doing this for 1,400 years. We've been making sacrifices that are insufficient. We've been working hard uh, based on our own merit. But Jesus is saying, listen, the only way, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my baby. I'm the final lamb. I'm the final sacrifice. And so Jesus needed to be involved in these promises that God gives in the book of Exodus. He had to be involved in them because he's the only one who can fulfill those promises. And Jesus steps onto the scene and lays his life down as the ultimate sacrifice. The power of death and hell are broken. Sins are paid for. And everybody who believes the power of God comes and resides in you and gives you the will and the ability to live the life that God wants for you. Not because of you, but because of him. 
Not because of what you've done or your decisions or your desire to do better, but because of what God does in you, what he wants to do through you. And it's all a result of the finished work of Jesus. You can't have God's promises and exclude Jesus. He is at the center of God's promises. All of them are centered on him. Luke twenty-two nineteen. Jesus goes on with his followers. He begins to talk about the Lord's Supper. He takes, he takes the Passover and he does what he does time and time again, which is he takes this tradition, he takes this, uh, this kind of dead religion that's not really working on much, and it's bringing it establishes a covenant with people, right? And God's teaching, teaching some people about their limitations, about what they can't do in their own power. But Jesus comes and he fulfills all of it. So all of the laws, 600 plus laws that they couldn't keep, Jesus comes and he consolidates the laws into loving God and loving people. The Sabbath changes after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, no longer is it on Saturday. Hey, let's do it on Sunday because the Lord rose on Sunday, right? All these different things changed as a result of Jesus. And Passover is one for, for followers of Christ that changed as well. We don't celebrate Passover. I'm not saying that you can't join Messianic Jews and, and have a tradition and be like, this is really cool to experience. It's just you don't need it. You don't need to slaughter a lamb. You don't need to read that. You don't need to remind yourself of promises that haven't been fulfilled because they've already been fulfilled. So in Jesus, you and I have what we need. And then this is what he tells his disciples as he's, as he's teaching them about Passover. He basically claims that Passover is about him. Here's what he says. Luke twenty two nineteen. He took the bread, gave thanks. He broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Hey, from now on, after this weekend, guys. Like, I, instead of remembering all of the, the unfulfilled promises of God, instead of remembering all the ways that you missed the mark, instead of remembering all the things, like, I want you to just remember me moving forward. Remember the body that's been broken for you. And his body hasn't been broken yet. So they're so confused. Guys are sitting at the table like, what are we doing? This is so weird. Like, eat my body. It's so, such a weird thing. But he's like, hey, this is my body that is broken for you. And so all of it is meant, like, if you exclude God, if you and I exclude Jesus, none of the promises happen without him. He is the fulfillment of all the promises that the Bible offers us. You can't have heaven. You can't have freedom. You can't have restoration or fulfillment except by Jesus. He, he claims this exclusively. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't come by whatever self-help book. You can't come by Buddha. You can't come by Oprah or Tom Cruise. You can't come by whatever, like, you can't come except by me. Jesus says it's exclusive. So, and then Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, he goes on. After he talks about the bread, he says this about the cup. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And Paul, Paul gives commentary to this in a letter that he writes to the church in Corinth. So again, it's really weird for the followers of Jesus. They're all Jewish. And they're like, Jesus has just made Passover about himself. And then, you know, for me and you, hindsight's twenty twenty. But like Paul, he gives us the commentary early on in the church in, in uh, the letter to Corinth. He says this, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And Paul says, hey, here's what the Passover is about. It's just a nod to Jesus. And Jesus comes to fulfill it. And Jesus comes as the ultimate sacrifice. The term lamb uh, in, in your Bibles is referred to, Jesus is referred to the lamb of God uh, 104 times in scripture. It's the, it's the term that he's referred to the most in scripture. And it's kind of a weird, it's kind of weird, honestly, if you think about it. Like you and I who have grew up in the church and we're used to him being referred to as the lamb, but all of it points back 
to this passage. All of it points back to Exodus 12 and the Passover. If you look at the, if you look at the book of Revelation, John gives us the letter that he writes. He has this vision of Jesus and eternity in heaven. And he writes his vision down for people. And he says, hey, one day everybody's going to bow. Like, whether you surrendered your life or believed in Christ or not, you will bow. Okay? So he's like, hey, everybody's going to bow. Everybody's going to worship. All the people are going to say, hey, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All the people are going to say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb, is the lamb. Same guy who writes his vision for us of what eternity will look like gives us this moment where Jesus steps onto the scene. He starts his earthly ministry this way. He walks up. To announce his earthly ministry, John the Baptist is baptized and people sees Jesus comes up and goes, there's the Lamb of God. Look at this. This is what it says in this passage. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is his announcement. This is like the first thing that anybody says about Jesus stepping onto the scene. There's the Lamb. And in the Revelation, it's like the last thing that we see is the lamb. And so I've got three observations around Exodus 12. I've got three observations around uh, the idea of why, why is the lamb important? What does that matter for us as Jesus followers? And, and how do we see Jesus in that? So three observations. The first one is this. The lamb was perfect. The lamb was perfect. He said, hey, without blemish, without defect, Bring your best. I want, like, highest pedigree. Whatever you've got, uh, it, we, we need a perfect lamb. And so Exodus 12, 3, I'm going to skip verse 4 and hit 5. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must, bear, uh, must be a year old uh, without defect, so perfect, without blemish. And you may take them from the sheep or from the goats. And so everybody has to bring your own lamb. And when you bring it, you need to bring the right one. Right? You need to bring what is perfect. And so here's what's crazy about this part of the Passover story that points to Jesus. Jesus comes and he lives, the Bible tells us he lives a sinless life. He, he, lives, he lives a perfect life. He's perfect, lays down his life for the imperfect. I want you to think about how insane our God is. And the one without blemish, the one without stain, the one without sin, the one who it is the one who sacrificed and laid and atoned, atoned, laid down his life and atoned for my sins and for your sins. And, and that's the gospel. And so I just want to say, like, if you're, if you're perfect, this is not your party. Like, if you've arrived, if you know all the answers, if you're perfect, if you make all the right decisions, if you're, if you're without sin, <laughs> if you're without things that you need Jesus for, this, you're not going to enjoy this experience. Church is only for broken people, only for sinners, only for those who are being called into right, only for those who are ready and willing to repent, only for those who are willing to humble themselves. That's what the church is. Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. He says, hey, I'm a great physician. And, and if you're sick and you need me, I'm here for you. If you're well, or at least if you think you're well, uh, I, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the ones who are sick and who know that they're sick. And so that's what we see in this passage. It's so great. And so I just want to encourage you that we, we, if you're new to our church family, we all got junk. Okay? We got sin. We got baggage. We got brokenness. And that's not to excuse away bad behavior or immorality or wrong decision making, any of that kind of stuff. But it does remind us that we serve a God of grace and a God who wants to take us on a journey from who you were to who he wants you to become. 
and all of us are apart. All of us are in a different place on that journey. Some of us are new to the faith. Some of us, are, some of us don't have a saving faith in Jesus. You, you've been doing kind of the religious thing, trying to work it out. You really don't, it really hadn't hit. Really hadn't surrendered. And then some of us are just frustrated because we've surrendered our life to Christ, but our life is kind of jacked up. So we're trying to figure out, you know, like we're trying to find freedom on some areas, but all of it is about the perfect lamb sacrificing for me and you. If we're honest with yourself uh, and you know you need someone clean to handle your mess, you know you need someone righteous to handle your sin, you know you need someone perfect to handle the brokenness in your life, welcome home. This gospel is for you, okay? That's what this is about. First Peter puts it this way. For you know that it was not the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down on you from ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You're going to see the lamb reference like all throughout scripture now. That's what you're going to see. Uh, He's the only one who qualifies to help your life in every way. The lamb was perfect. Uh, But another thing that the scripture tells us is that not only is he perfect, but the lamb was sacrificed. Lamb was sacrificed. This is Exodus twelve six. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And so here's the point, and here's the nod towards Christ here is the cross. God sent his son and put love on display in that Jesus died for uh, died for us uh, in the most brutal way. Uh, God could have sent Jesus at any time in history. He could have been executed in any manner of ways. Lethal injection, dude, firing squad. And yet God chose, like God sent his son in a time when execution was its most brutal. Most brutal. And and the Bible is clear and teaches us a lot about what the slaughter of the Lamb of God looks like and what Jesus had to endure for me and for you. Jesus, uh, this this is Isaiah 53 Um, the prophet gets a glimpse, even in the Old Testament, gets a glimpse of what Jesus is going to have to endure um, on the cross. This is Isaiah 53, 5. It says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, there's that wrath. The punishment that brought us peace was put on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so Jesus started the day off after his arrest and after his conviction um, starts the day off by being at the whipping post and they tie him to a rock and they use something an instrument called the the cat of nine tails and it has like a wooden handle it has leather straps there's nine of them and it had bone and it had wire and it had glass and it had rock woven into the leather strands they would dip it into water and then they would beat him on his back and it wasn't kind of like what you see in hollywood's version or whatever i would say passion of the christ is probably the closest example of what it would have looked like it was basically the idea was to embed the bone embed the rock embed the glass and then pull down so that it would rip flesh and, and, and people who've, who've like studied the way that Romans would crucify or scourge people know that the, one, of the, one of the things they would do is they would target this area of your body, 13 stripes on this side, 13 stripes on this shoulder, 13 stripes down the center of your back, 13 stripes on your shoulders because ultimately their goal was to suffocate you on the cross. And if they could make your shoulder dislocate, while you're up there. If they could just do away with the strength that you had in your shoulders, it was quicker work. And then to expose the bone of your back so that as you're on the cross, you have to feel all of that. And so this is what Christ experiences. 39 lashes, the Bible tells us, because 40 was illegal. 40 will kill a brother, let's do 39, right? Was kind of the mentality. Jesus experienced all of that. And then after that, he goes to the praetorium, which is like the Roman guard locker room. 
And so uh, he's beaten beyond recognition is what the Bible tells us. And he goes to the praetorium and they mock him. They take a, a crown of thorns and they place it on his head and they press it down and the blood rushes to his head. Uh, and then they, they put a, a robe around him, which is a, it's kind of a burgundy, like a red violet robe around him. And, and they give him a scepter, which is a reed, and they begin to kneel and mock him and say, hail to the king. And they, they put a blindfold on him, the Bible tells us, and they begin to punch him and beat him and say, hey, you're a prophet who hit you. They begin to do things like that. And I'm just thinking about what kind of focus, what kind of discipline like, where does your headspace have to be to endure all that he endured? The Bible tells us he didn't even make a sound. I would have made a sound. Like, if someone cuts me in line, I make a sound. Someone cuts me off in traffic. Someone steps on my foot. Someone says something about me. I'm like, you know. Like, and Jesus is just standing there so focused on eternity, so set on the joy that is before him that he is just willing to take all of it. And it's wild. The lamb is just standing there, just taking hits, taking blows. They're mocking him. And then they hand him a cross, and he has to drag the cross up to Golgotha, place of the skull. They crucify him there. They put nails in his hands and in his feet, like giant nails. And, and sometimes the flesh would slip on these nails, so they would tie your hands in addition to nailing you to the cross. But the whole idea, again, was to make your body slump down in such a way. They've already done brutal damage to your back, and they want you to slump in such a way that you end up suffocating is the whole idea. You don't die from loss of blood. You die from suffocation. For six hours, you're on the cross, and he's trying to push his body up to take a breath. The lamb was slaughtered. Slaughtered. Uh, and, and sometimes we just kind of, sometimes we're like, yeah, Jesus died for me. Praise God. Woo. And then we go live our life forgetting how he was slaughtered, what he went through and what love looked like. Like it's wild how we live in, in response to what we know about the way that he gave his life. And so Jesus, he carries this cross for you and for me. He goes and lays down his life. Uh, and he ends up he ends up dying. Bible tells us they don't break his legs. Normally they would break people's legs just to make the process quicker. He'd already died. They, they run a spear up through his side, goes into his heart, and blood and water came, came out, which is indicative of a heart attack. So everything that he endured physically, but also everything that he had endured spiritually, Bible tells us he takes the sins of the world on him in that moment. The father turns his back. God, why have you forsaken me? You know, and he takes, he takes the wrath of God in that moment. Everything that was intended for me and for you so that we could find forgiveness, so that we could find right relationship with God, so that we could offer, we could have justice, but we could also have grace in the person of Jesus. It's insane. This is what our God offers us. And so now I want you to read through Isaiah 53 again with all that in mind. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for my transgression. Spear went up into him, nails in, nails in his hands and in his feet because of me, because of you. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. What a crazy exchange. You and I get peace. He gets the punishment. He takes all that on. Why? Because he is the perfect lamb and because he's sacrificed in our place. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so the lamb was slaughtered. Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He died as your sins and was slaughtered so that you and I could have life. We could be made free. We could experience all that God has for us. And that's why our response is to lay down our own lives. The reason why I talk about surrender and laying down your life is the only thing that makes sense for us to do is surrender. our. What is he worthy of? 
What's he worthy of? Is he worthy of me to spend time knowing him and learning more about him and developing a relationship with? Is he worthy of my worship? Is he worthy of my tithes? Is he worthy of my service? Is he worthy of my heart? Is he worthy of me? Is he worthy of me going, man, I want to lay down my anger, my unforgiveness. I want to lay down. What is he worthy of? And, And the Bible is asking this question. What is the Lamb of God worthy of? And the book of Revelation tells us everything, everything. And so uh, the lamb was perfect. The lamb was sacrificed. And here's the third observation on the Passover lamb. The lamb was shared. This is uh, Exodus 12, 4. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. And so the idea, and if you read through the text, is that the whole lamb had to be consumed. And the reason why they put this part in the, in the passage is because there were households that couldn't consume a whole lamb. Lamb was too large for the people in that household. Hey, invite other people in. Share the lamb. You got to create space for people, neighbors, people to share the lamb. And I believe that's what God's asking us to do. What is our part to play in the gospel? You and I really don't bring a whole lot to the table when it comes to life change, when it comes to even, even our own lives being changed. God does the heavy lifting. What's our responsibility is to share the lamb makes me think about my, my, my childhood. I grew up, uh, my dad was one of six kids and there was 13 grandkids. And I don't even, I don't even remember how many great grandkids, if I'm being real. And, uh, and, but we would have aunts and uncles and friends of the family, church family, and all kinds of people just show up for Sunday lunch. We'd always did Sunday lunch. I miss those biscuits. Okay. That just hit me. That was from the Holy spirit. Um, that was not in the manuscript, but I, but we, we just would gather in this little double wide and all of us would just gather in this little trailer and nobody cared. No one cared. It was crowded. It was hot. Nobody cared. No one. And, and we would, we would get in this and it was just so many people. It was like, there was a table in the dining room for eight. There was some bar, it was like three bar stools in the kitchen. Everything else was like a sofa. You know, like uh, you had to sit on the porch. You had to sit outside. Nobody cared. People who came over who were guests of the house, people that we didn't know, people who felt most random were the ones sitting at the table. Like they, they, hey, get out the way. Let the people who just got here, let them have a place at the table. And here's what happened over the course of time. People who just started off at the table as a guest. Hey, nobody really knows who this jugger is. Where's this person from? I don't know where they're at. Like, and, 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 but once they feel like family, once they get in a rhythm and they feel like family and they're like, yeah, I'm a part of this. Watch what happens over the course of time. They remove themselves from the table and new people come and sit at the table. And so, so what I love about this part of the passage is like, hey, the lamb is got to be perfect. The lamb must be sacrificed. The lamb must be shared. It is not a thing that you can, you can hold, you can keep for yourself. It is something, it is, it's, it's a, it is a communal event. Passover, salvation, freedom, fulfillment, restoration, purpose, God's call in your life is not something you do in isolation. The lamb is shared. And there's always room. There's always room. You're like, we ain't got enough room in here. It's grandma's trailer. There's always room. You, you go, you sit on the porch, whatever. But I, I want us to kind of shift our mindset. Some of us struggle as our church grows over the past few years. We've had hundreds and hundreds of new people come to be a part of our church family. And uh, sometimes there can be a shift and go, man, things are shifting. Things are changing. This is hard. There's too many people. We make this comment. Too many people. There's too many people. Except 
what are we talking about? I, Brooke and I, we go out, uh, we go out sometimes and I get so energized by what God wants to do in our region because I know no one. Like, like we, we'll see somebody that we know or someone will recognize us at a restaurant or, you know, whatever. But, but like the majority of the people as we ride down the street and as we go out in places of business is I'm like, I'm so pumped. She's like, why? I was like, because I don't know any of these jokers and all of them need Jesus, right? So they may already have Jesus. That's great. But like, but chances are high percentage of them don't find value in what you find. Don't drive into the rain and come to church on Sunday. But there's people in your life, work, family, people who desperately need to share the lamb. And we've got to shift our mindset and our focus off of ourselves and go, hey, why do I Sunday? Why do I my group? Why do I do things like serve day? Why do I do things like give? Why do I do things so that I can share the lamb? This is, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. I'm going to end with this. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So this is the work of reconciliation that God calls us into. He has a job. We have a job. Here's God's job. Not counting sins, uh, people's sins against them. Whoo, good. I'm glad that's his job, right? So that's God's job in the gospel and in reconciliation. And then here's our job. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul says, hey, the work of reconciliation, God has a job in not counting your sins against you. And your job is just to tell people about it. Your, God, your job is to share the message and the hope. Be prepared for the hope that you have to share that hope with other people. Your job is to share the lamb. To share the lamb right where you're at. And so, um, man, I want us to think about that as we head into serve day. I want us to think about that just for our lives in general. When's the last time I thought about what Jesus laid down for me and what my life should look like in response to that? Can I at least be proud of what God's done for me? Can I at least share that hope with people? So Jesus is with his 1,400 years past from, from Exodus, this part of Exodus 12, to the time of Jesus. And they're celebrating Passover together. And Jesus makes all the Passover about himself. And he says, hey, I am the lamb. You guys have been waiting on a perfect lamb. You never had one until now. And I'm here. All of the things that, that, that couldn't hold the weight up until this point, I'm taking every bit of that. I'm taking all of that. And it's going, to be, it's going to be me laying down my life. It's going to be this perfect lamb being slaughtered and sacrificed that's going to give way to a new relationship and a new hope. And so um, with that in mind, I want us to end today with communion. And I pray that it just hits a little bit different for you as you take communion today. As we think through Isaiah 53, as we think through Exodus 12, as we think through Jesus' nod to Passover being about himself, his life, his death, the way that he died, and then the, the offer of forgiveness and grace that, that comes through uh, both the cross and his resurrection. So when he's with his closest friends and his followers, he says, this is my body that's broken for you. Take and eat this body in remembrance of me. And so if you just peel the top of the cup there, let's just take this wafer and just remember the body that was broken for us. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, man, this cup represents a whole new way of being. This is a whole new covenant. 
So it's no longer about your merit, your worth, your rule following, your ability to keep the rules. It's no longer about religious rhythms. It is only about my finished work in the cross. And you can find yourself in me, surrender your life to me, and, and, and have a new covenant, a new way to be human, a new way to be in relationship with God. And so let's remember the blood that was shed. And here's my encouragement. My encouragement for you is that as we take communion, as we come to the table, that one, you would give it the worth that it's due, that you would remember, hey, my life should reflect that my house is marked by the blood of the lamb, but also that you should invite other people into that space and share the lamb. There's people, there's seats in this room that don't have people, and I cannot wait to see the future stories of somebody's grandma, of somebody's kid, of somebody's coworker. And I know that because I know the stories of so many of you, that somebody took the time to share the lamb with someone and then someone was baptized. Someone took the time to share the lamb with someone and then someone found some freedom and forgiveness in their marriage. Somebody took the time to share the lamb with someone and someone came to life by way of the gospel, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. So I'm going to close this in prayer uh, today. And I want you to be thinking about that. What is, what does that look like for me? What's that look like? What does my life look like in relationship to what I know and what I say I believe about the gospel? And does my life reflect that? Let me, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us. And I am sorry that so often my life does not reflect, um, does not preach the message, does not really give your, your gospel credit. Um, and I pray you would just continue to do work on my life. God, help me to become who it is that you want me to become. Make me, make me kind, God, and make me more loving and make me more patient. Make me more full of joy. God, give me over to faithfulness. God, mark my life in such a way that people look at it and they see, they see that you, you're, you're, you're true and you're real. They know the old Michael and they see the new Michael. And I pray that for every single person in this room. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right where you sit. And as we think about the way that his body was broken, the blood that was shed and what our life should be in response to that. If you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus and today you see him on the cross and crucified, but you know that he was resurrected three days later and all of your future hope stands in his finished work, not in what you've, what, what you've done and you want to surrender your life to Christ, I would love to give you an opportunity to confess him as Lord. Right where you sit, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I want to go all in. I want to make him the leader and savior of my life. Bible tells us there's a moment of confession. It's really important that we're bold enough to confess him as Lord. So right where you're sitting, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry I've made it about myself. God, I've just, I've just missed it. I'm seeing it different now. By your word, by your spirit, just revealing yourself to me. God, lift my head. Help me to give me, give me faith to repent and walk the direction you want me to walk and give me purpose. And, and, and help me to create a space and a culture in my own life that I just make more room for more people, that I just share the lamb wherever I go. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.